I've never seen a, a trauma-informed school that truly was trauma-informed that didn't benefit from the relationships being connected to the classroom, whereas attendance rates go up because kids want to be there, because there's caring people there that love them. Test scores will come up. Graduation rates definitely come up. Friends, welcome back to Resilience Conversations. This is Ginger Lumen. I am here with my beautiful, brilliant uh, friend, boss friend, colleague, <laughs> Rebecca Lewis Pankratz. And today we're going to talk about vaping and the uh, various school responses that are going on in the world around the topic. And really maybe what we want to be doing instead in the world of uh, trauma-informed learning. And we have a special guest with us today, yay, Jim Sporleader, renowned principal, mm -hmm. administrator, leader in the trauma-informed movement. And we cannot wait to get his wisdom on what he thinks about the whole situation as well. So let's get right into this, should we? Absolutely, Ginger. Jim, welcome. We are so glad to see you. What's the weather like in beautiful Washington State? Well, the heat wave finally broke, so uh, we were suffering yeah. weeks of just extreme heat, and now uh, it's in the seventies, and it's wonderful. So we can uh, smell and feel fall, <laughs> and I think it's like that in Kansas too. So I'll just kind of lay the put the landscape out there a little bit, Jim, about what's happening here in Kansas. And then I think it will also speak to the struggles that public education is facing with students across the country. In the last couple of years, we have had just staggering numbers of students that are bringing vape pens to school in both middle school and high school. The common response to that is we are suspending and expelling kids for bringing vapes to school. And, you know, as I'm watching some of these numbers with districts that we're close to, I couldn't help but think of you. And I thought, well, I know this wasn't quite the modality that kids were using when you were an administrator, Jim. Like, if this was going on at Lincoln, what, what would you tell administrators who are just dealing with this left and right with the kids that they serve? First off, my mindset before I became trauma-informed was uh, more geared towards uh, suspension because I thought that was a way of really getting kids' attention and that that would be a quicker way of lesson learned and, and, and that they wouldn't be apt to, to, to do it, come back uh, and do that. But uh, as I became trauma-informed, uh, I, I, I've got to go back to uh, Dr. Uh, Vincent uh, Filetti, uh, co-founder of the ACE uh, uh, research. Mm -hmm. And when he came to Lincoln, I remember sitting down with him. And at the time, I just shared with him, I said, uh, Dr. Filetti, uh, my biggest competitor is marijuana. And uh, I said, uh, man, 
it's having such an impact on our kids. And his response to me really, you know, cause I was in my early learnings, he just said to me, he says, Jim, I, I know it's not healthy and we don't want to encourage it, but he says, you know why their kids are doing this, don't you? And you know, my mind, yeah, they get high. And, and uh, he shared with me, he says, they're not just using it to get high. They're using it to manage their stress. Mm-hmm. And uh, at first, I, it, it, it was hard for me to, uh, to, to, to really be able to internalize that. And uh, because uh, uh, even then, marijuana uh, was automatic suspension and you know we would cite the kids and what have you but uh the more i thought about it i took a risk and uh you know i'd already changed my my pattern to ask kids what was going on when kids came in to see me and i finally started when kids came in and uh especially kids that, that had just uh, had a blow up or so in class or confrontation in the hallway. And I was checking in on where they where they were uh, as far as uh, their emotional state and we have to teach it. So the kids, when I asked them, they knew what I was talking about. And many times they would say I'm in the red. And uh, that was our starting point of the conversation. But I, I, I finally was able to come out and it was kind of a risk for me at the time. And I, I would say, uh, you don't have to answer my question, but I can tell you're really uptight and, um, you know, kids that smoke a lot of marijuana or so, you know, you can usually see it in their face. And I would just say, it appears to me that you might be smoking a bit. And, uh, I said, uh, could, could I be right on that? And, uh, man, when I asked that question, I had kids saying, yeah, I am. And I'd say, and then I would say, then you must, you're dealing with a lot of stress and that would just open up the conversation. it, It just, uh, took my old mindset of, you know, Mm. we just can't tolerate that at school to to saying wow if you're dealing with that kind of stress where you're you're having to smoke to manage your stress um we've got to first find some kind of support system to help you with your stress so that it can relieve your 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 uh choices of having to use pot to uh manage your emotions and uh it just actually it blew me away that that uh the, the kids when i would present it that way that would say yeah and, and then i would find out that they were under tremendous stress and um i mean i i would hear almost consistently when, when when they would give me this feedback they would consistently tell me you know i'm not they would say, I'm not smoking just to get high. He said, I'm smoking to try to keep my stress at a certain level. And, uh, and then we would talk, I would say, are you smoking before school? And yeah. And, uh, for some, I'd say, you know, are you sneaking away at lunch? 
yeah. At night, yeah. And and that for for the more extreme, that would lead us into uh, spoiler. I can't smoke enough to get rid of my stress. And and that conversation leads us into the classroom. I said, well, when you're under this kind of stress, uh, when you go to the class, are you able to concentrate and focus on the learning? And they'd say, no. I'd say, is that stress just rolling in your heads? Yeah. And um, it just opened up the opportunity to uh, wrap around support and services for these kids. And at the end of the conversation, uh, I would say, you know, we got we got to deal with it because uh, there needs to be a consequence. And uh, I may. I quit doing the, the uh, out of school suspensions hmm. and, and, and because, you know, the, the, the learning there was, and before I blew it off, but once I became trauma informed and started implementing these practices, um, it truly hit me that when we put these kids out and they'll tell you when you build that relationship, they'll tell you, uh, yeah, well, I used to get out of school suspension and I'd just go home and smoke more dope or, or, uh, I'd go home, you know, I'd have a free day out of school and, and, and it hit me that to teach them meaningful consequences of learning that by keeping the discipline in school and using in school suspension, I not only was building relationships with them, I was not only able to provide supportive services if they, you know, if if they took the initiative to take advantage of that. Some did, some didn't. But I was able to bring them in school and and what I what I found out through that in the earlier stages was kids that kids wanted to argue with me to put them out of school instead of doing in school. And uh, as I reflected on that, you know, it just hit me. Well, these kids don't have great attendance anyway. And some of them are struggling in classes. So my, by me putting them out, it it only put them further behind. And it did. Mm -hmm. They were unsupervised. They didn't have families that provided any structure at home. Um, so when you look at in-school consequences, it holds kids at a higher level of accountability. I was holding them accountable to attend school. They had to be in school mm-hmm. and I held them accountable to their schoolwork. They had to do their work while they were in the ISS room. And I also had a caring adult in the room they could process with them if needed and they were safe. They weren't out on the street streets, uh, uh, unsupervised. Jim, I really, how you just laid that out there is so amazingly beautiful and, and just logically yeah, duh moment. Right. But in a non uh, trauma informed world, when we don't understand the science, or we don't believe the science yet. I absolutely have said 
myself and with, you know, my kids, I'm stressed. What in the heck do you have to be stressed? You, you ain't even paying bills. What do you have to be stressed about? This generation's so soft, right? And then, you know, when we have our out of school suspensions on these kids, because, you know, we know they want to be at school. Do we? Uh, right. And so we think we'll, we'll kick them out and they'll learn from it. And, and, and we're not helping them learn the healthy coping stress uh, management coping strategies. They're just out there on their own, creating their own medicine, so to speak. Uh, but then there are some others with the zero tolerance. I've even seen go so far. I've actually worked in schools where we've gone so far as to say, when you've been kicked out of school, you're not even allowed to make up that work. I mean, we're really heaping the punishment on them at that point to where they're like, I don't want to be kicked out because now I'll be so far behind if that really was their worry. And that's not their worry. Their worry is what they're stressed out to begin with. And so yeah, we create the, these policies. The I, yeah, the students I suspended, they, they didn't come back to school to, after the suspensions and go around to their teachers and ask, no. ask for their work. No. Like, Can I get my assignments? No. no. So when they're still in school with someone who's safe and caring and saying, hey, here, you're stressed out. Let's work on that stress. What can we do here for a coping magnet? How can we work on the, you know, that's that's the part that's the healing piece that we're actually helping people become functional adults in the world rather than those who turn to other coping mechanisms, right? You know, I think it when you think about a macro level, right, and five, ten years down the road, I mean, just all of the kids that are missing out on learning and graduating on time and all of those things, I mean, there's a real cost to this. Uh, and you know, we can't have kids vaping at school. Like that is, I want to be very clear, Jim, you are not allowing students because they were stressed out to smoke weed on your campus or cigarettes to be clear, Jim, is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, if I had a student smoking marijuana on campus, you know, for at at that time it, it was illegal and, uh, I would bring him in. And uh, if they were in possession of marijuana, they would still get a citation from the SRO uh, for being in possession. But, you know, when that when that comes up at the end of the conversation, when, when we've already when we're processing their stress. Kids at the end of that conversation and you're developing relationship, they expect a consequence. They know it's wrong. I just kept the consequence in school. And if, like I said, if they were in possession, they had to deal with the citation. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, we're not asking that because kids are coming to school stressed that, that we, we create opportunities to enable them to be using, uh, to me, we would be failing them to, to, let them think that we thought that was just great. Great. You know, uh, we have to hold kids accountable. It's part of learning and and we have to teach them what that accountability looks like, but when it's done in in a manner uh, of compassion, it builds relationships and remorse. Right. I mean, what, 
what you found was that kids were actually remorseful after you had um, spent some time talking about what was really going on for them. The the vaping and the smoking and the drinking, I mean, those are symptoms, right? Those are just symptoms of something deeper that's happening to our young people. And nobody's taken the time to look for what's underneath. You did this and here's what happens, right? And so, Jim, what I just want to repeat back to you is that when kids came in the office and they'd had some kind of malfeasance, you spent time connecting with them and identifying the root cause. And then you got to, hey, here's what we have to do about, you know, the act that was committed at school that's not okay. And I wonder how many kids were highly motivated after that and realizing this is our new way of doing business to not do those things at school anymore because they didn't want to let the adults down. Yeah. It sounds to me, Jim, that you would have a that you did have and, and would still continue to have a zero tolerance 2.0. You didn't tolerate it on your campus. That's a zero tolerance. If people are like, you know, I think that gets to be a, a hard spot. If we're not zero tolerance, that means that we tolerate it. No, no, no. We're still zero tolerance. We're just a 2.0 in that not zero tolerance, meaning we're going to, you know, mash the, the living out of you. Uh, we're, we're actually going to, the 2.0 is zero tolerance with love. And accountability. And accountability. That's the zero tolerance of accountability rather than zero tolerance with punishment and pain. And, you know, to do the job that um, we've really been called to do by taxpayers is to educate all the students that show up with all the things they show up with and help them be as absolutely successful as they can, regardless of what they're presenting to us. If we call this all the zero tolerance 2.0, I think that wins politically. I Mm. think that wins uh, uh, philosophically. I think that's a win winning point. So Jim, if you have some administrators that are out there going, okay, I, this makes sense. And now I need to start thinking about setting up a trauma informed um, middle school in school suspension room and a trauma informed high school in school suspension room. What are the first three steps to that? That's a great question because it's not just setting up an ISS room that, 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 that solves the issue. It's setting up an ISS room that has high expectations, but has, but demonstrates the practices of being trauma-informed. And so the person who is in that room, the supervisor of that room, needs to have that compassion for kids to build relationships and also have the, the presence that when it's time to work, it's time to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was fortunate that well, I actually went after the person that I wanted for my ISS room because I, I knew that she had amazing uh, uh, compassion and, and, and that she would build tremendous relationships. I mean, in our in-school suspension room, kids would go see Shelly before school. Mm-hmm. They'd go see her after school because she had terrific relationships but uh, it wasn't come in. If it's come in, sit down, shut up, and get your work done. Uh, it's not going to work. Kids are going to blow out, and uh, uh, there's it's not effective in the way yeah, that, that it could instead be. Instead of drawing connection, it draws disconnection, and mm, so mm. 
uh, if the ISS room is punitive, uh, it's lost its effect. Because, Jim, what you saw was that kids um, were working their way out of ISS uh, by accomplishing the, the schoolwork that they were supposed to and by demonstrating to Shelly that they understood why they were there. They knew it was wrong. They had remorse. I mean, you just started watching this phenomenon play out over and over again of kids being held highly accountable, and it was creating motivation in them to do better. Well, and Jim, as our culture changed, and we were seeing the powerful impact of trauma-informed practices being embedded and practiced, uh, then I didn't have kids begging me to kick them out. Versus going to ISS, mm-hmm. I had kids saying thank you mm. because because they because school was safe and they wanted. First, they, they knew there needed to be a consequence. They expected it. And, and, and when they went up to ISS, they, they knew what the expect, expectations were. But they also knew that there was a caring, supportive environment. And uh, again, that, that, that transfers back to the classroom. It, when, when you're building those relationships and the kids buy into the culture, when they go back to the classroom, they're going back. Uh, engaged because of the environment that you've created and not behind. Yeah. That's a big deal. deal. Jim, I've heard you say before, and and maybe you didn't use these exact words and I'm, I'm making it my own is this wasn't just about seat time and ISS. You didn't just assign kids two weeks in school suspension at the end of it. They were done regardless. It was just spending time there. It really was about, you're going to go there. You're going to, you know, uh, think about what has happened. You're going to work to make amends about what has happened. You're going to understand, you know, and, and, and start to work through the process of those restorative uh, conversations that need to happen, but then also spend the time there to make sure you're caught up with your work so that when you do rejoin class uh, that you're ready to go. Jim, was it true that if you say, let's say you gave a kid or that a kid had earned uh, a week in school suspension, was it ever possible that the kid would get out of ISS before the week was up? Well, with my learning, uh, to be honest with you, I never gave more than three days. Ah, okay. Because I, 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 and the question I always present is what, when the lesson has been learned, you can't beat kids into submission. So when the lesson's been learned and, and we had, to, and it takes time, but we had developed a culture that I was able to see for many of these kids. Let's say I gave a three day. I would, I would see before they left the office that the lesson was learned, even though they, they knew they needed a consequence. They got the consequence and, and they were going up to ISS, but I would check in on them and I would walk in and ask Shelly, how, how are things going? And many times she would say to me, um, you know, John, I don't know if John's going to be able to make it for three days. And I, and I'd look at John and he, he, he would be very engaged. And, and I'd say, well, he's not disrupting. And she says, no, he, he's already on his third day of work and he's only been in here for two days. And, and so I would walk up to John and just say, Hey, talk to Shelly. She said, you're just kicking it. Uh, appreciate it. I want you to go back to your regular schedule tomorrow. 
Mm, so it wasn't them walking out thinking, oh, I got away with a day. Mm-hmm. They, they appreciated the acknowledgement and they went back engaged. And, and, and if we, that's our ultimate goal is to have students in the classroom to learn how to regulate their emotions because when they're regulated, they're engaged. When they're dysregulated, they're disengaged. So we're building those relationships and teaching the process of how to regulate my emotions or how to get help when I feel like I don't have control of my emotions and having those opportunities available. And uh, what we saw is kids advocated when they were dysregulated to seek those options that we had there for them, which was usually a a timeout, which they would do in the in-school suspension room. It wasn't punishment. They advocated for a timeout. They needed a quiet place. And, uh, they would, and we allowed them to go up and, and, uh, when they felt like they were ready to go back to class, we let them make that decision. And, uh, some kids, it only took a class period or two before they felt like they were ready to go back. And they'd tell Shelly, hey, I'm ready. And again, a regulated student went back to class. Some kids would tell Shelly a little bit more about what was going on. And we knew that they needed more time there. But at the same time, their work was being brought in. And... Uh, There's a whole nother podcast on this, isn't there, Ginger? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, a couple of things I'd just like to to reiterate is that in order to set up a truly successful ISS room for secondary students, you probably need to do the groundwork of moving from trauma-aware to trauma-sensitive with the rest of your building staff and becoming trauma-responsive together because it can't just be an administrator and a staff person in an ISS room that are fixing kids. It needs to be everyone engaged in that. Mm -hmm. And Jim, you know, you've laid out a way where I just want to thank you because you really expressed to us a way that has had success. Mm -hmm. And I think people can see it. And so, you know, as we have conversations with school boards and with community members, you know, what is what is this costing us to be putting kids out at the rate that we are? And a lot of times it's our most at risk learners already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what is it costing us as a society? And there is another way. We've just discussed that here today, which will actually help multiple different things that schools are facing math and reading scores, attendance issues, graduation rates. Um, so Ginger, I, I just love Jim. Uh, when, when you talk about the, the process of the ISS room about being a safe place, uh, where kids can go to, to work on being better, where they can start to make their own decisions, because really isn't that what school's about is when we say we're getting kids prepared for the world isn't a huge part of it them being able to make their own decisions that are responsible and that they're taking responsibility for their actions. Isn't that really what we're wanting to happen in the world? Mm. And if we're building programs where we're telling kids what to do, when to do and how to do, where are they starting to take responsibility and ownership in that process? They're not 
They're either choosing to do what we're telling them to do or they're choosing not to. That's the only option we're giving them. Whereas when we're talking about this sort of system, Jim, that you're explaining to us, this really is about putting a lot of almost all the responsibility back into the kids' hands with accountability and love of the adults to keep them safe while they're doing it and learning how to do it. And that's beautiful. That's what we're looking to do in schools. Rebecca brought up a very uh, critical point, too, is it has to be your entire staff. Or I, I'm going to say nothing's 100%. It has to be 75 to 80% of your staff who are actively implementing these practices Mm -hmm. because that's that becomes your culture and that provides the safety for these kids who are dealing with so many so much traumatic experiences to be able to come feel safe regulate and feel successful it i've never seen a a trauma-informed school that truly was trauma-informed that didn't benefit from the relationships being connected to the classroom, whereas attendance rates go up because kids want to be there, because there's caring people there that love them. Test scores will come up. Graduation rates definitely come up. Discipline goes down the actual referrals to the office significantly drop and and, uh so all those data points that we're seeking to improve improve and those that we want to come down come down significantly and uh uh but you know i'm not gonna say it's easy It, it takes a real commitment to create this kind of culture because I have to take a lot of responsibility on my own personal emotional state. And I have to understand that if I'm dysregulated, I've just lost the opportunity to build connection. If I if I regulate myself, even if I'm on edge, if I take the time to bring myself down before I start engaging with that student, then that draws the connection that's needed so that we can see all these great changes. Jim, I think that is an amazing place to land us for today. Um, I just want to say thank you for coming in and just speaking some life over what seems like a really painful and even a little hopeless situation uh, with vaping in schools and some of the other things that are happening that kids are also bringing in the vape pens. And, but I really do think Ginger, we need to get another podcast scheduled after bridging to resilience to really dig into um, our ISS rooms. And I just think there is a wealth of, of potential learning there for our listeners. So I just want to say, It is so good to be back doing Resilience Conversations. And we do want to share with you that Jim is going to be our kickoff keynote speaker at our annual Bridging to Resilience Conference in Kansas City, Kansas. Beautiful KCK. The dates for that are November 9th, 10th, and 11th. And to register, you can go to isdac.org slash B2R22. Folks, come see Jim. 
Um, I can tell you that there has been a big run on registration. Hotel rooms are probably going to go. And so make sure if you haven't checked out this conference, um, Jim, tell us a couple of reasons. This is our partnership conference with Jim. Uh, we do this every year. And Jim, what makes Bridging to Resilience different than other conferences that you have attended? Well, first, I, I would say that, that I'm grateful that I can be a partner with this uh, Bridge to Resilience conference. And I'm grateful to be a partner with SDAC because I believe so strongly in the mission and, and in the work that you, uh, that you all do. That includes your entire staff. What I love about Bridge to Resilience is, and I'll go as far to say it, it's my favorite conference uh, mm. that I can attend. And the reason is, one, is the student mm -hmm. involvement to hear the stories from, from our, our alternative students and how a trauma-informed uh, environment has impacted their life and to see how they've gone from hopelessness to hope is so powerful. And the testimonies that we hear from our parents who have been buried in poverty, who through trauma-informed practices mm -hmm. have now also found a way from hopelessness to hope and to hear their stories of feeling like they were they would never come out of poverty and to um, see their journey and to see that, 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 that they finally have come out of poverty and that they're at an income level that yeah. they are taking care of their families. Um, uh, it's, it's an emotional experience for me. I mean, I get, I get teary eyed every time those kids talk and I'm impacted and get teary eyed every time the parents uh, share their stories and uh, and then the wonderful presenters that we have. You know, we've, we really have attracted uh, over the last few years, tremendous presenters, breakout sessions. Um, so I see us all as a team yes. and uh, supporting one another and. And so I'm very grateful to be a part of this. Jim, you know, as DAC, um, I, I think that there's some real humility for us that the universe sent you to us and that somehow you've got to usher us um, forward. And so Bridging to Resilience, guys, this is a conference for everybody, not just schools. It's for faith-based communities, um, nonprofit organizations, systems work, families. Um, we've had foster care parents show up there before. And so this is about understanding this movement is about all of us getting to the table and also about having people in the room uh, that are experiencing the issues that we're trying to solve. So we would love to see you uh, November 9th, 10th, and 11th. And Jim, thanks for kind of highlighting a, a tricky conversation with us. Much love to you from Kansas and from our um, little, our Indiana friend, uh, Jim, we wish you well. Isn't that Jessica Harris and their wish you well from the Hoosiers, Ginger? 
Yeah, so, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yes, just sure. Cares. I, I hope you. it's Indiana, but yeah, she's like that's our that's our our. We wish you well, and so listeners out there, we wish you well, and hopefully we'll hear more from Jim soon, and see you all in Kansas City. Bye for now. Thank you.